Good evening. Thank you, brother. Love that song. It just uh, should be the cry of all of our hearts. Amen. We need him every minute of every day. People think, well, you know, I needed him when he saved me, and I'm glad he saved me. And sometimes we forget that we need him today. Yeah, we needed him then, but praise the Lord, I need him now. And I'll need him tomorrow and the next day. And I'm thankful that he has promised that he'll always be there, that he never leaves nor forsakes us, that he does for us exactly what needs doing according to his will. And for that, I'm very thankful tonight. Thank you, brother, for that song. Everybody take your Bibles this evening. Turn with me, please, to first, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter number 3. And we want to look tonight at verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Watch what the Bible says here. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you believe God's word, say amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this good day. And we're asking, Lord Jesus, that you would do what only you're capable of here tonight, that you would speak your truth uh, to hearts and lives, and, Lord, change us to be what you want us to be. Lord, by your power, do your work, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have ever heard concerning our faith uh, what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's just a leap in the dark. Have you ever heard that? Because I've heard it many times in talking with people and discussing what I believe and why I believe what I believe. And a lot of people actually believe that when it comes to matters of faith, uh, that it's, it's just that. It's a leap in the dark. And when people say that, really what they're saying is that they think there is no basis or foundation to what we believe to be true concerning uh, the Christian faith concerning uh, the Bible. And so, folks, I submit to you tonight, first and foremost, that there is a basis and foundation of truth when it comes to what we believe. Matter of fact, our faith is rooted in evidence. Can you say amen to that? I, I, and that's what we're going to be talking about as we go along in this. See, I want you to know that our faith finds its foundation in the person of the Lord Jesus and his finished work for the redemption of all mankind. Amen? And so it, it, we, our, our faith is founded in him. Now, but now listen, what we know about Jesus, we find in the pages of our Bible. Amen? Now there's other places we find it too, but we find the majority of what we know about Jesus on the pages of of the Bible. What we know about God the Father and God the Son, what we know about God the Holy Spirit, we find on the pages of Scripture, at least the majority of it. Now, I'm going to say uh, maybe 1% of what we know about God is found outside the Bible. Now, before you label me as a heretic, let me explain to you what I mean by that, what I'm trying to say. Anybody who lives in the natural world and takes an objective look at the world they live in knows a little bit about God. They really do. I mean, it is impossible for us to take a look at this complex world we have and say that that just happened. If you do say that, then you're being foolish. 
And in my opinion, you're not taking an objective look. Your, your, your view has already been uh, somehow uh, turned in a certain direction and, or, or you're choosing not to see the evidence that's right in front of your face. I mean, this world we can see has a plan. It didn't just happen. Life itself has a plan. It doesn't just happen. It's not just by coincidence that all of us are here and living the lives that we are living. Now, if it has a plan, we believe it has a planner. Amen? One who got all of this started. One who set all of this in motion. Now, let me say something to you folks. What we believe as Bible-believing Christians is that the Bible reveals to us who Jesus is. Who God is. The Bible reveals to us who the planner is. Can you say amen? And, and so I want you to know that the Bible is absolutely necessary for us to know God. You'll never know God um, and, unless you pay attention to your Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. Amen. The Word of God. And so you'll never know God unless you know the God of the Bible. <laughs> you won't. The Bible reveals to us who our Creator is. The Bible reveals to us who He is and what He's done for us. And that's what 2 Timothy 3.16 is telling us about. It says here, let's, let's break this verse down. I want to go through three or four things here that this verse promises. Because the Bible here in 2 Timothy 3.16 makes a truth claim about itself. And look what it says. It says, all scripture, and when it says all scripture, that's exactly what it means. All scripture in all 66 books, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is what he's talking about here. All Scripture, now watch, is given by inspiration of God. Let me tell you what that means. The word inspiration there in the Greek actually means to breathe. And so really what uh, the Bible is saying is that, listen, this Bible that we have, this Scripture that we have is God-breathed. It's inspired by God and written down by men. Listen, as the Bible speaks, God speaks. Now, we know that God can speak in many different ways. God has spoken in many different ways. God speaks now in many different ways. Matter of fact, I do not believe God is hiding from anybody. I don't. I believe God is making himself readily available to those who have ears to hear. What he's shouting, what he's trying to say. Now, we know that God speaks through experiences. Sometimes he can do that through different circumstances and situations in your life. There, there are a lot of times that uh, God will speak through someone else right to you. 
How many of you have ever been in a service like this or been in a Sunday school class or listening to a pastor on the radio? And, and listen, God just start hitting everything you need just like he, that, that man knew exactly what was going on in your life. Well, that man didn't know. It wasn't that man that was able to discern what you needed, but it was God the Holy Spirit who speaks to and through his people so that he might be glorified. For his glory and for your good and for my good. And so God certainly does speak that way. But let me tell you how you can, you, you can have a fail-safe measure of what God is saying. What does his word say? Because God will never speak something that contradicts his word. As the Bible speaks, God speaks. This is God breathed. See, right now as I'm talking to you, all of that is made possible through the breath that is coming in uh, up through my diaphragm into the larynx, that my voice box, coming through the voice box, and then it's making a sound that you're hearing. It's the breath that's coming out of me. That's what this is saying here about the scriptures, about the word of God. It's God breathed. As the Bible speaks, God speaks. But then he says something else. The Bible also makes the claim that it itself is profitable for doctrine. Now, what does the word doctrine mean? Well, doctrine just means what's right, okay? The Bible says it will tell you what is right, amen, what is right. I heard a story one time about a little boy who was asking church what doctrine means. He said, well, that's where you go when you get sick, and I'm going to tell you something. That, that one's for you, Miss Amanda, you you think about that on the way home. And that's, and, and ain't, they, they're, they're, he's not far off base there. He's really not. Because I can tell you, when you get a hold of what's right, it will bring healing to the sickness that we all have, which is the sin sickness in our life. The Bible gives us doctrine which is what is right. But then it says something else, watch. For reproof. Now what is reproof? When you are reproved by someone, then you're told that what you've done is wrong. Okay, so the Bible tells us what's right, but then the Bible tells us what's wrong. Now, watch what else it says. For correction, what does that mean? Correction is how to get right. The Bible tells us how we can be made right after we've done what's wrong. That's what correction is all about. That's how, that's how we operate as parents. What do we do as parents? When our kids do something wrong, what do we do? We correct them and put them on the right track. Well, that's what the Word of God does to the people of God, to the children of God. It corrects us and shows us how to get right. Now, watch what else it tells us. For instruction in righteousness. That's how we stay right. Are you getting it? So the Bible tells us what's right in doctrine, tells us what's wrong through reproof. Listen, tells us how to get right through correction and tells us how to stay right through instruction in righteousness. For what purpose? We'll look at verse 15. Go back with me, brother, to verse 15 to begin with. And that from a child, this is Paul here speaking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what? What does the scriptures do? It brings unto us salvation. Again, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. 
Now that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It is the Scriptures that first of all point us to Christ and bring salvation to our lives. But let me give you the other purpose. Watch what else it says in verse 17. Watch what it tells us there. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What God wants for me as a child of God and what he wants for you as a child of God is that we will grow to be furnished in all good works. Remember what Jesus said? Do good works so that men might see your good works and then what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the purpose of the Word of God is first of all to bring us unto salvation through faith in Jesus. But then the purpose of the Word of God through, listen, uh, 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 doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness is to make us furnished in all good works as we live out our faith as believers. That's what the Word of God does for us. Now let me tell you this. If there's one thing Satan will always do, he's done it from the beginning. He will always try and cause you to doubt the Word of God. Do you remember in Genesis chapter number three, excuse me, chapter number two, two or three, where I know it was when in chapter two, whenever um, God told Adam and Eve, look, you can have of every tree of the garden, it's yours, enjoy, except of the tree of the knowledge of good and life, of good and evil. Don't, don't eat of that tree. And if you eat of that tree, in that day you're surely going to die. And then what did, what did the serpent do? What did Satan do? What did our adversary do? What did the enemy do when he came to Eve? He's, he, he brings doubt into her mind by saying, Hast God said this? Is that really what he meant? Is really what he's saying. Is that really what God's word is saying to you? And, and so what he was doing then is still what he does today. He causes doubt in Eve's mind concerning the word. And he will also cause doubt in our minds and hearts concerning the word. And so this evening, what I want to do is to encourage you and hopefully strengthen your faith and let you know that you don't have to be ashamed for standing on what God's Word says. And you never need to back down on what God has spoken to you through His precious, powerful, everlasting, absolute truth. You don't have to. And we shouldn't. Matter of fact, We've done that for far too long. It's time we call right, right, wrong, wrong. Sin's black. Hell's hot. And Jesus saves. Now why do we say that? Because God's word says it. So we need to know that we can trust the precious, powerful word of God. So I want to answer the question this evening, or we'll get as far as we can in this. How do we know the Bible is God's Word? Remember, I said point number one is this. Our faith is rooted in evidence. Everybody say evidence. Let me tell you what I can't do this evening. 
I can't this evening nor any other evening will I ever be able to prove to you the existence of God or the truth of his word. Can't do it. It's impossible. How can that which is finite prove that which is infinite? That's why the scripture says plainly, without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's going to come a time in all your heady thinking when you get to the end of yourself and the end of your logic and the end of your reason and you're going to have to either decide whether you're going to trust in who God is and what he says or you're going to have to reject who God is and what he says. But I want to tell you something. Listen to me now. Those who choose to place faith in God, believe on him and place faith in him, well, they're doing just that. But those who choose to disbelieve who God is and what God says, they're also placing faith that there isn't a God. Are you getting me? We who are believers in Christ, we who trust in the Word of God, we who have been born again by faith, we're placing faith that God does exist and His Word is truth. Those who do not believe or reject the truth of God and who God is, listen to me now, they're placing faith that God doesn't exist and His Word is false. It's, faith is either positive or negative when it comes to this point. Now the good news is, us who, who are on the positive side, we do have evidence that points to the existence of God and the truth of His Word. So what, I, what I'm trying to get to, listen, if anybody ever comes to you, and you'll have this from time to time, all right, uh, and I had, I had a man just here a while back, preacher, prove to me that there is a God. There was this gentleman that I was speaking to, uh, just happened to run into him, and, and, and spur of the moment thing, I believe it's one of those divinely appointed times that God places in our lives from time to time that I've met this guy, and he began telling me about all the bad stuff that had happened to him and all the bad stuff that was going on throughout all the world, and he says to me this, Preacher, prove to me there is a God. And I said, I can't do that. But then I asked him a question. You prove to me there isn't a God. See, he can't do that either. Because even though it's an impossibility for that which is finite to prove that which is infinite, it's also an impossibility for that which is finite to disprove that which is infinite. So it comes down to a, 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 a question of faith. Is your faith positive toward the Lord or is it negative toward the Lord? Is your faith in the word of God positive or is it negative? Even though I cannot prove the existence of God to you or the truth that, that the Bible is the word, I can't prove that. What I can do is give you evidence that we know exists. Would that help you? I hope so. Certainly helps me. Certainly strengthens my faith as I look at the evidence we know to be there. And there's a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence that points to the God of the Bible and the truth of the Bible. So let's look at some of them. First of all, tonight I want us to look 
at the historical evidence that we find in the Word of God. Now, I want to give you um, three examples. And I could give you more than three, but I'm going to give you three that really speak to my heart concerning the historical accuracy of God's Word. How many of you know that the Bible is a history book? It gives us the history of mankind. It gives us uh, the history of... And I love that because I'm a history buff. I love history. I enjoy reading history, thinking about history. I, I, I love all of that. And, I, and I'm thankful that the Bible is a history book uh, because that, that's something I enjoy. But there are secular historians who are constantly trying to disprove the Bible. I, you've, well, I've seen that over and over and over again, if you don't believe me, just turn on the History Channel. And I got to where I, I, I started getting so stinking mad at the History Channel, I just might turn it off. And I love the History Channel until it starts talking about the Bible. Because they only give one side of the argument. They never give you all the facts. So that's why it's so important that you yourself just don't listen to a bunch of talking heads on TV about anything. Start thinking critically for yourself. Start seeking truth for yourself. Start praying for understanding and discernment for yourself. And God promises he'll give you exactly what you need. And he will. I'm telling you. But secular historians are, are continually trying to disprove the Bible. There was one by the name of Sir William Ramsey. Now, Sir William Ramsey was a leading authority on the history of the Middle East and Asia Minor. He lived uh, back in the 1940s and 50s. He said, the book of Acts is a highly imaginative and carefully colored account of primitive Christianity. So let me, let's break that down, what he's saying. All right? This guy who has... Um, degrees hanging on the wall, more degrees than a thermometer. He, he stands up and says, okay, the book of Acts, first of all, it's highly imaginative. And so what he's saying is, the book of Acts is not rooted in truth, but rooted in imagination. It's something that somebody's dreamed up. Then he says, it's a carefully colored account of primitive Christianity. So what he's saying is, Dr. Luke who by inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Acts, he didn't give you all the facts. He just shaded the areas that he wanted you to know. Do you see what he's saying? He's casting doubt on the book of Acts. Then something happened. And I love this. This blessed my soul when I read about it. William Ramsey then took a trip over to Asia Minor, over to the Middle East, and what he did was traveled around that area searching for evidence while he again read the book of Acts. And something took place. Something that has taken place over and over and over and over again with the skeptic. When they objectively, honestly take a look into the word of God they are transformed by its power. If you don't believe me, read about C.S. Lewis. If you don't believe me, read about J. Warner Wallace. If you don't believe me, read about Lee Strobel and watch the movie Case for Christ. You can read the book too. It's really good. 
I'm going to tell you, there's hope for the honest doubter. So Ramsey goes over and he starts reading again the book of Acts and walking around in all these areas that actually is laid out for us in the Word of God. And that's another thing I love about the Word of God. It don't hide things. It gives you dates. It gives you specific areas. It gives you events that were taking place at that time. All of these things that can be checked out. And you can look back on. And that's what William Ramsey did as a historian modern day. And he was transformed and came back after his journey. And listen to the book he wrote when he came back. He wrote a book called The Beloved Physician. Now we know Dr. Luke to be a physician who wrote the history of Acts by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so really what Ramsey was saying is that Luke is now beloved. Instead of him being highly imaginative and carefully coloring primitive Christianity, now, now he's the beloved physician. And he said this concerning Dr. Luke. I take the view that Luke's history is unsurpassed in trustworthiness. How did that happen? Because he took a look for himself. Most people, I'm not going to say all, but most people who do not believe in the validity and accuracy of the Word of God and most people who completely reject the notion of Christianity have never taken an honest look for themselves at it. And they'll spout things off like the Word of God says this and the Word of God says that. When they say that, just say, show me where it says that. Okay, if it says that, then I want to see it. Show it to me. I've never had one show it to me yet. Let me tell you why. Because most people just hear somebody else say something and then spit it back out without taking a look themselves because they know if they take a look themselves, then they've got to do something with their own life. If they recognize truth, they've got to recognize their own error. And if they recognize their own error, then they got to recognize their need for a Savior. And if they recognize their need for a Savior, that's life-changing. And they like how they're living. See, the truth is, most people don't have a problem with faith. They have a problem with sin. Are you hearing me? So, William Ramsey came back transformed and saw that what Luke said was truth. Another thing with the book of Daniel, same thing. For years, the book of Daniel was doubted because Daniel said, and you who were here for a Wednesday night study of Daniel, you remember that Daniel said Belshazzar was the last king of the empire of Babylon. It was Belshazzar who had the, the um, party there that, uh, that, that he was using the, uh, the, the temple's ornaments that they used for... Uh, for, for their ceremonies in the temple at Jerusalem, you know, when the Babylonians went in and, and took all of that from Jerusalem, he was using all of those utensils, those cups and platters, uh, to, to pour his wine in. And all of them were getting drunk and having a party with those things that God considered holy. And if you remember, it was Belshazzar who seen the hand appear and the writing that came on the wall. And it was Daniel who, wrote, who read the writing because it was written in Hebrew. And it was Belshazzar who, who then was the last ruler there in Babylon. But for a long time, historians looked back in their records and they found no record of Belshazzar. They did find, however, 
a record of Nabonidus, who was said to be the last king of Babylon. And so for a long time, everybody said, well, that can't, Daniel can't be right. Daniel can't be true. We know that Nab- Nabonidus was um, the last king according to the historical record that was kept by the Babylonians. And then the archaeologists went to work and found evidence that Belshazzar was the last king. And Nabonidus was too. See, Nabonidus was the father of Belshazzar. And they were co-regents. They worked together as kings, ruling the the empire. Nabonidus was an older man who was rich, had all the money he could ever spend, and loved to hunt. So he would go on all these great hunting trips all over the known world at that time. And when he left, he had to have a ruler that would rule in his stead. And Belshazzar was the one ruling when the Persians, the Medes and Persians, came in and conquered the empire of Babylon. But nobody knew that until more digging was done. There'd been a lot of digging done. Let me give you another one. One of the ones that is always questioned in the Word of God, the stories that are always questioned in the Word of God, is that of the crossing of the Red Sea. Skeptics for a long time have been doubting that it happened just like the Word of God said. You remember what happened, don't you? God under the blood of the Lamb, brought his people out of their condemnation in Egypt, brought them to the banks of the Red Sea. They had the Red Sea in front of them, the mountains surrounding them on all sides. And behind them, on the road they had just traveled, came the Egyptian army. Pharaoh was coming to kill them. And who he didn't kill, he's going to take back and be slaves. And if you remember, God told Moses to stretch forth the rod and he would see the glory of the Lord. That's exactly what Moses did. And the Bible says the Red Sea parted and the nation of Israel, the people of God, walked across on dry land. And then the Egyptians, in their pride and arrogance, followed them. I'm going to tell you something. If I'd just seen that water part, I'd have never went in the middle of it. But they did. They went right out in the middle of the Red Sea and after all the nation of Israel had safely passed over, the Bible says that God caused the waters to come back together and Pharaoh and all his soldiers and all his horses were drowned and their chariots were destroyed. As a matter of fact, it says that when they got in the middle of the Red Sea, they weren't able to catch up with the people of Israel because their chariot wheels fell off. You remember that? That's a big part of the story. And everybody doubted whether or not that could happen. There ain't no way that could happen. That's a bunch of leaping in the dark. Until 1978 when archaeologists actually went and started diving in the Red Sea. And guess what they found? Chariot wheels that matched the period when Egypt was in power during the time The Israelites were slaves there. Let me give you a quote. That's happened. Oh, I can tell you many, many more. That's just three of my favorites. Let me give you a quote by Dr. Clifford Wilson. Dr. Clifford Wilson 
was formerly the director of the Australian Institute of Archaeology and a world-renowned archaeologist, not just in Australia, but everywhere else. Listen to what he said. I know of no finding in archaeology that's properly confirmed, which is in opposition to the Bible. It is the most accurate historical textbook the world has ever seen. The cool thing that you need to, well, not the cool thing, but it's cool for us and, and the study we're doing tonight, Clifford Wilson it's not a believer. He's not a Christian. He doesn't claim to be a Christ follower. He just takes the Bible as a history book and goes and looks at the history it records. And he finds it. And he says, to his knowledge, there's never been one archaeological find that disproved the Bible. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I am not saying that archaeology has completely proved the Bible. But it's a big statement to say in all the finds they've had all over the world, it's never disproved the Bible. That's huge. Now, I believe if we keep digging long enough, it'll prove the Bible as long as we can keep digging and, and finding what hadn't already deteriorated. Amen? What hadn't already went back to the dust. The Bible is accurate, historically speaking. That's evidence that it is the Word of God. Not only is it accurate when it comes to history, but it's accurate when it comes to science. Now, in the Old Testament law, there's a lot of things that the Bible tells us or told them that is beneficial, very beneficial, today. They gave, it was given in the Old Testament law for the nation of Israel a sanitary code. There was given there a dietary code. There was given many different things that would keep those people healthy in the time in which they lived. Amen? Let me give you just a few of them. In Leviticus chapter number 13 and verse number 11, the Old Testament law required that the people of Israel continually wash their hands was very important. Now, at the time in which that was written, nobody knew anything about germs. That wouldn't come along until thousands of years later. So how in the world did these ragtag bunch of slaves out in the wilderness know that it was important to wash hands to keep from getting sick? Well, I'll tell you how. God told them. Well, God actually told Moses, and then Moses wrote it down in the word of God. Laws on quarantine. That's in Leviticus 13, 46. If someone has a sickness within the camp, they were commanded to quarantine that person so nobody else got around them. Again, nobody at that time knew anything about how disease was spread, infection and germs. That was not even known yet. But God commanded that the people who were sick be quarantined. Now, why is that important? Well, something happened in the 14th century. Now, this is thousands of years after God made this command. In Europe, something took place called the Black Plague. Have you ever heard of it? And it killed, some say, about 60% of Europeans at that time. It was amazing, man. People were dying everywhere in large numbers, huge numbers. 
And nobody knew what was going on. And they would go to this house and there'd be three or four people dead there. And two or three people that were still alive, they'd be very sick. And they were taking dead out and just piling them up in the streets. And nobody knew how it was going to stop, how it was going to end. Until some churchgoers actually looked to the Word of God. Students of the Scriptures looked to the Word of God and saw in Leviticus 13.46 how if a person is sick, quarantine them. See, they still wasn't doing that in the 14th century. Why? Because they still didn't know anything about germs and infectious disease and how everything was spread. How did the people of God know it back in the time of Moses? Because God gave it to them. Now, some might say, well, Moses did come from Egypt. Maybe he got all this knowledge from the Egyptians. I mean, after all, the Egyptians did things at that time that nobody else could do. Built pyramids, had great armies. Maybe they were great when it came to medical practices and science that nobody knew nothing about. Maybe the Egyptians gave it to Moses because remember, Moses was raised as a child or a grandson of Pharaoh. And he learned in the best Egyptian schools. I read about a book this week from a man named C.I. McMillan. He wrote a book called None of These Diseases. And in this book, he outlines some of the medical practices of ancient Egypt. And he knows these were the medical practices of ancient Egypt because there's a book on it called the Papyrus Ebers that was found in Egypt through archaeological digs. Now listen at some of the cures the ancient Egyptians gave for common, ordinary, everyday things when it comes to medical problems. Well, I don't really know it's a medical problem, but it is a problem for me here lately. Gray hair, all right? Now they gave a remedy for gray hair. Listen to what they said. You would take the blood of a black cat and the fat of a rattlesnake, boil it all together, and then apply it to a person's head. How many want to try that? And then they gave a remedy for a puncture wound or a splinter or something that caused the flesh to bleed. They said a lizard's blood, worm's blood, and donkey dung should be mixed together and applied to the wound. Those of you who don't know what, a dung, what dung is, it's what comes out of a, the south end of a northbound donkey. They said mix all that together and then put it on your splinter or put it on your cut. Now, how many of y'all think that would be safe to do by what we know today in medical practices? Would that be safe for you? Would you do that? So could we say with full assurance that Moses didn't get the knowledge he had from the Egyptians? I think so. So how did he know? Did he have a microscope? Had he been... To some great school who taught, well, taught him how to be a doctor. I mean, how did he know these things? I tell you, I knew it. Because it was inspired by God and written down by God's man. This ain't all. But that's just some of the things that we could point to in the Word of God that proves the Word of God is historically accurate and scientifically accurate. Now listen. Next week, I'm going to tell you about some more that absolutely blow me away. 
And I hope it does you too. Even though we can't prove to anyone the existence of God or the truth of God's word, it takes faith. What we can do is give evidence. And there's a lot of it. Anybody got anything else, comments or questions?